So the aim is God's grace begins with his choice. God's grace begins with his choice. You know, last week, the aim that I gave you, and it's really kind of the aim for me, at least it's the aim for the book, the whole book of Deuteronomy, that aim was that Deuteronomy helps us understand the relationship between grace, law, and obedience. Grace, law, and obedience. That's, that has become my motivation for Deuteronomy because, I mean, I'm all about grace. I love the, the doctrine of grace. And every time I would, you know, I would read through the Old Testament, particularly books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy in particular, because there are a lot of specific instructions, do this, don't do that, in this circumstance, do it this way, not that way, uh, a lot of, um, and, and a lot of warning that I mentioned last week, and if you don't do it, you don't do this, this will be the curse. This will this will be the, the punishment. And it, it just, that's the kind of, uh, that's what just stuck with me as I, that was my perception of Deuteronomy. And then I mentioned last week that, you know, we've been hearing cold at least three times in the past four or five weeks or months, actually, as he's teaching through Romans, make reference to that. Even the law, even the Old Testament law, was a, grew out of the grace of God, and He. he so I want to I want to keep thinking about that, and that's why I think my aim for tonight is God's grace, because I'm trying to understand. Well, I'm trying to see and understand grace in Deuteronomy, in the law. God's grace begins with His choice, and so I want to take us back uh, to remind us of the context. Of, of kind of how how we got to how the people of Israel got to where they are in these in the whole book of Deuteronomy, uh, but tonight our focus is on the first three chapters. Turn in turn in your Bible all the way back to Genesis 15. A lot of us were here. We studied Genesis a few years ago, and as we as we hopefully you you noticed in these first three chapters of Deuteronomy. And probably even beyond chapter three, a number of times where Moses connects the instruction that he's given them back to the promises to your fathers, to the promise to Abraham, the promises that God made, the covenant God made with Abraham, continued it with Isaac and Jacob. That's why they are here. When I say here, that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, is camped out at this point, right? on the east side of the Jordan, getting ready to, to finally go across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and take possession. Well, way back in Genesis 15, this is not the very first time that God uh, gives Abraham the covenant, the promise that started in chapter 12. But here in 15, um, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O oh, oh Lord God, what wilt thou give me, since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer. I should have practiced that before coming tonight. Uh, of Damascus. And Abram said, Since thou hast given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. But Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. 
he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And there was a reference in tonight's text similar to that about the, how God had multiplied Israel, the people of Israel, in, in fulfillment of it's one of the ways God had, would already fulfill this promise to Abraham. But then we go on down, and he says, um, in, in course, verse 6, Then he believed the Lord, and, and he, God, reckoned it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. And Paul, of course, takes that play, that verse in Romans 4, and talks about how salvation has always been by faith. That this happened before Abraham was circumcised. God believed, Abraham believed the Lord, and, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought, who, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, Oh, Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? And so he, sets, he said, Bring me three-year-old heifer and three-year-old female goat and three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought the, all these, and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. But y'all, if y'all familiar with this text and this, this ritual of covenant, um, covenant, uh, what's the word? When you, when two parties would ratify, I think that's the word I'm looking for, would ratify a covenant, they would do this. Cut, cut a series of animals in half and walk between them. Normally, the two parties would, would walk between them. But as we see in, at the end of the chapter, Abraham went into a deep sleep, and this fiery, this smoking pot, this flaming torch passed between the pieces. And I've, all, I've been told, been under, my understanding is that essentially that was God going through the, between the halves alone. Um, because the, the implication, I'm kind of digressing, but this fascinates me. The di the, the, normally what that meant was, we're going to split these animals in half, we're going to walk through this, and the, the sovereign king would be saying to the vassal, remember that's the, this vassal treaty that Deuteronomy is very similar to, the sovereign king would be saying, if you don't keep the terms of this covenant that, we're, that I'm, I'm offering you, what's happening to these animals is what's going to happen to you. Now, the fascinating thing in, in this instance, Abraham didn't have to go between the animals. God went between the animals. And, and that's a picture, if you will, of Christ taking the punishment. God taking the punishment that we deserve in his own son. But the point, back to the point. So, so um, God promised Abraham this land. But get, go back to verse 13 and 14. <coughs> God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So he's talking about the Egyptian, the time of slavery in Egypt. 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Gene, we were talking about that in our group, weren't we? And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age then in the fourth generation they shall return here his his and his descendants who had been living for 400 years in egypt at this point they shall return here for the iniquity of the amorite is not yet complete so just keep in mind in that passage right there when we get further on into deuteronomy when god tells through moses commands the children of israel the nation of israel 
in these certain places that as you go in to take possession of their land, I want you to kill man, woman, and child. Which sounds unbelievable. But God says back, he told Abraham, when I bring, is, it, it, uh, when I bring Israel back to this land, one of the things I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be judging, punishing the Amorite because by that point in time, the iniquity will, have, will be complete. Fascinating text. So God promised Abraham the land. Now, fast forward all the way to Exodus. God brings them out, you know, plagues against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The deliverance through the Red Sea kills Pharaoh's army and brings them uh, to the mount to Mount Sinai. Here in, and so in Exodus 19, this is so this is where the, the Mosaic Covenant was established and the Ten Commandments were first given. And this is a text that, that Cole has referenced and just alluded to it in recent weeks in chapter 19. This is the third month, it says, after the sons of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. On that, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And look at verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel... You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And so again, grace begins with God's choice. And I was thinking about, I mean, going back to Abraham. Abraham was, who was Abraham? He was living over in Ur of the Chaldeans. I heard somebody I read, and maybe he was a he was an idol worshiper. He was a pagan, right? But God chose him and moved him, began to move him to, to the, the the promised land, and he began. Abraham, you're the man. You're the man that I'm going to covenant with. I'm going to, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. That starts that covenant. That's the first expression of in Genesis 12. And so then he, then he gives his, he gives him the descendants like he said he would. And now he's talking to those descendants at this point. I've always heard a couple of million by this point coming out of, uh, maybe they're not a couple of million at this point. They're coming out of, they've just come out of Egypt. But God is telling them, I've chosen you. What did he say? All the earth is mine. I could have chosen any of the nations, but I chose you. Because, and, I, and my choice of you started with my choice of Abraham. And so now in, um, in Deuteronomy, so now we get to Deuteronomy. I'm about to freeze up here, by the way. That's why I'm talking so fast. <laughs> Trying to generate some body heat. Yeah. Here's I, what I want to do for just my comments, just for another few minutes. I know y'all love when I say that sort of thing. Y'all go right. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, just some things I I just started underlining um, some of the passages in these first three chapters, and I sort of cheated because one of the chapter four. But we, so I might give you a little uh, 
little preview into chapter 4. Um, so, so what I've said so far is that God covenanted Abraham. God owns the whole earth. I didn't, I didn't, uh, we went past it, but one of the things that God told Pharaoh in chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9, is that he, he, wanted, he, wanted Abra, he wanted Pharaoh and the Egyptians to know that he owned the whole earth. He wasn't just a local God of the Jews from, where, you know, from their land. This was, I'm, I'm, I want Pharaoh and all the people to know I'm God of, I, I created this earth and I own it all. I'm in charge. And so that was part of God's stated purpose with how he treated Pharaoh. And of course, when we read ahead in Joshua and we read about Rahab, she gives testimony to how uh, they, feared, they feared God, Yahweh, because of what he had done to the Egyptians. So, um, here's something that, so talking about land and the fact that God owns it all and, and, and trying to understand what's the significance of God giving Israel a land. We talked about in our group when one of the questions was, read through the first three chapters and look for the key words, look for the key words one, as indicated by repeated key words. And I noticed, I counted, well, I didn't count, I had my computer count it. The, the, the word land shows up. Uh, anybody get that? Anybody count that? You get extra credit if you know. According to my count and my translation, I got 33 instances in the first three chapters of the word land. 33. And, of course, that's why I assume in the, in the study guide, the the first division is called the land. Well, here's something I did not know with regard to land and God's sovereignty over the land. Of course, I knew that God was giving Israel the, the promised land, the holy land, right? What I'd not never, I'd missed, I don't remember hearing anybody draw my attention to it. Go to chapter 2. I got this from one of the commentaries that I'm using to, to supplement my study. You know this whole, the, the account of um, King the, the Sihon, how'd y'all say that? How would y'all pronounce that? Sihon? Sihon? Yeah, it'll work. I'm going to go with Sihon, King of Heshbon, and then uh, who's the King of Og? Did he have a name? Oh, Og, king of Bashan, yeah, or Bashan, if you like it that way. Um, but I, I got ahead there a little bit. So go back up to verse chapter 2, verse 16. So it came about when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people. Those were the men, by the way, who had rebelled, who refused to go in and take the land when God told them the first time. The men of war... And then God, when they rebelled, God said, okay, you guys get to die in the desert, in the wilderness. And your children that you said you're worried about, I'm going to take them into the promised land. So the Lord, he said, when that happened, the Lord, uh, when they, they had all finally perished, verse 17, the Lord spoke to me saying, uh, you shall cross over Ar, the border of Moab today. So look at the, listen to this, verse 19, and when you come opposite the sons of Ammon, do not harass them, nor provoke them, for I will not give any of the land of the sons of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot as a possession. So this note, so I, what I had not 
thought about and that this commentator pointed out is that the principle or the activity of God of giving a land to a group of people did not start with Israel. That's not what was unique about that. Because Moses is telling the Israelites here, God had already given Lot a piece of land. And then he goes on and says, and by somebody in our group, I'm not going to name his name because I don't want him to get proud of himself. But he pointed out that, look at verse 21. One of the things God did in giving the sons of Lot this land as a possession is that God took care of the giants. There were giants in that land and God took care of them. That was the big thing that the men of war were all worried about. Well, we can't go in those guys are too big. Verse 21, but the Lord destroyed them before them and they dispossessed them and settled in their place. And then verse 22, just as he did for the sons of... So here's a second example. Just as he did for the sons of Esau who live in Seir. When he destroyed the Horites from before them, God destroyed the Horites. And they, they, the sons of Esau, dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day. And then there's a third example in verse 23. If I'm reading that right, the the Kaftorim who came from Kaftor, I mean, where else would Kaftorim come from, right? Destroyed them and lived in their place. So this guy pointed out that one of the things Moses is reminding Israel, right? This is the second generation. He's saying, look, it's time to go in and take possession. And your parents or the fighting men 40 years ago, they were afraid they wouldn't do it. It's time for you to do it, and just as a way of, as a confidence builder, let me remind you that God has done this at least, at least these three times. God has taken a group of people, sons of Esau, sons of Lot, sons of, who did I miss? And he's taken these groups of people and given them another, a piece of land that, was belong, that belonged to somebody else. And even in some cases, those, that land was inhabited by giants. But God took care of the giants. God took, God did it, and God's going to do it for you. I did, had y'all, I, that was new. I'd never seen uh, that that God was in the business of taking a group of people and putting them in another place for His purposes, His sovereign control over the earth. And I think you, you remember Paul's sermon in Acts 17, when he's talking to Mars Hill. There's a phrase in there, I didn't look it up, but it's something very close, that God determines the boundaries. Does that ring a bell, anybody? Uh, the times and the boundaries of where where we are to live. I just think maybe that's just another expression of God's in charge of a lot more than we probably think about. Anyway, that was fascinating to me about the land and how God, through Moses, was reminding them and encouraging them, I, I can take a group of people and give them somebody else's land. I do that. I've done it. Here's three examples. And that's what I'm going to do for you. And, and as we pointed out, there are a couple of places where, but that group of people, I'm not giving you their land. So don't don't try to destroy them. Don't bother them. Behave yourself when you go through their land, right? But there's some groups, I'm giving you their land, and in some cases it's going to be severe judgment on them because, of again, the sins of the Amorite is now complete. And that's why I'm telling you, when you go into that land, destroy man, woman, and child. Um, Now, 
the, the unique thing, because what I, so what I said there was, the point was that giving a group of people like Israel somebody else's land, the, the promised land, was not the unique thing about what's, what we're reading about. What was unique is that God, in doing that with Israel, he was making Israel his covenant people. It was going all the way back to what we read about Abraham in, in, in Genesis 15. Not only was God, he wasn't just putting Israel in this land. He was putting them in that land to be his possession, to be his people. Let's go back. Let's go back to Exodus. Um, we already read chapter 19. We talked about, I bore you on eagle's wings. So what I'm doing is just sort of connecting dots, connecting, you know, looking at redemptive history and, and, and emphasizing God is the one making the choice, the choices here. And that, that's kind of where my aim came from for tonight, that God's grace, which we hope to be look, thinking about and talking about all the way through Deuteronomy, begins with his choice. What I say? Uh, Exodus 29, I remember this text um, being impressive to me. We talked about in our group tonight how the, the, the personal nature of God, God wanting us, wanting for us to be his people. And so this is at the toward the end of, uh, of Exodus. They've, they've built the tabernacle. Look at the very last three verses of chapter 29. Exodus 29, starting at verse 44. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to, to minister as priests to me. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might can you believe that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I mean, that I might dwell among them. And, and we, our application could be, you know, God, we are um, we're the temple. And what's crazy about that is when I read it in, in Exodus, these people were not. Um, what can, what can we say? I mean, they're just like us. We're rebellious and distracted, and our uh, cold many talks about uh, our you know, displaced loves. How does he say it? We, we, you know, we don't love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And yet, God wants us to be His people. He wants to dwell among us, and in, in our case which is part of the new covenant, we get the Holy Spirit. We get God individually, personally, somehow, mysteriously, indwelling. I mean, how many times do you just walk around somewhere during your day and you hear something or maybe you just think about it and you realize, I'm indwelt by the living God of the universe. You ever think about that? Does that ever just sort of catch you and just realize, that ought to make a difference. That ought to, I mean... You know, <laughs> and we're and a, oh yeah, and Cole's comments about adoption. I mean, we are in the family. So, uh, I think you know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to stop right there. I was going to talk a little bit about possession. We'll come back to that. Um, um, taking possession and what does that mean to us? I think I'll stop tonight though, right here, and let me pray for us. Lord, it is amazing when we, every time we read the scriptures and we stop and we think about, and we, we're, see, we're faced in the scriptures with your initiative, 
to be our God and to have us to be your people, your possession, your special prized possession. And all that you have done and all that you've promised to do because you want us as your people. It's just astounding. Uh, it, is an, it is amazing grace. So I pray tonight, Lord, that uh, as we think about the things we've read in the first three chapters and as we continue to spend time in this book of Deuteronomy, that you would just keep showing us your love towards us, your love for us, your desire to be with us, your desire for us to be your people. And all that it means, all that that means, Lord, we, we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.